0: Hello everyone and welcome to BYOB, very special episode coming up for you this week. I say special, I mean all the episodes are special, but this one is sort of particularly special because it's one of my favourite films of all time. Very kindly selected by our absolute titan of the podcast game, Jack Cassie. how are you sir?
1: Hello, I'm very good, thank
0: you Ben Haynes. How are you you getting on mate? It's not all about me, how are you getting on? Mate, do you know what, I'm going to have to, this is such a bizarre thing to do two minutes into a podcast, but... I've just seen in my background my, my brother's just got back from Washington DC he's been, like, he's been there for three years And we've had a big sort of family reunion Over the last few weeks It's been really lovely And I've just seen behind me That there's a giant box of Lego Just populating my shot over here Because my niece and nephew have been, been round So it's been really, really nice But I am just going to very gently move that out of the way So people don't have to stare at that for the whole pod Um...
1: Maybe you could like be there we again. could sort of span this out from film discussion into actually just becoming like a Lego building YouTube channel something like that <laughs> get, you, get you to make oh, and, and that, you could make it and actually we could we could still keep it on the film brand we we could have you construct a Lego Ava there you go yeah All a like Lego
0: that. AI brick by brick yeah. each
1: week run chat gpt for it done
0: yeah it, I'll oh do my the god cheering exactly test. I'm. I, I am so excited to talk about Ex Machina this week. If you if you weren't listening last week and didn't hear Jack's selection, Ex Machina is. It's one of those films, right, where it's, it's just got so many little angles that you can take, little ways that you can go with it, which I'm very very excited to get into.
1: Oh look, I'm jumping ahead, but I'm I'm going to do this up top, mate, because you said it's one of your favourites. It's Definitely one of my favourites. But when you say one of your favourites, how? Because I'm talking honestly. I was thinking about this. I was talking to Charlotte about this. I'm thinking honestly. It's at least top ten of all time for me. Do you think? Yeah, in my personal one, yeah. I'm saying like I, I hold it. I like. And just watching this back again was a delight. But that is me jumping ahead. But yeah, where? Yeah, I I think it's in.
0: Because of the type of film that it is, um, I think it's kind of in a subcategory for me. Do you know what? We've got a little discussion to do on this. Let's do that straight away at the start of the top. But first, I, I do want to pick your brains because you haven't been to the cinema this week, I but haven't you, been to you the did cinema. get a chance to watch the Arnie doc.
1: I did. Yeah, I, I wanted to watch it. I should have. You yeah, know, I should have bloody watched it before. We did Terminator 2, but it just didn't, no, I didn't I, have the time.
0: I think it's kind of cool that you didn't, right? Because mm. you watched Terminator 2. Maybe we can just do a little review of the, the doc now. But you watch Terminator 2 and you see this guy in the peak of his powers. Yeah. And what the doc does is it really shows you the rise and fall, perhaps, of human ego, almost. Look, I mean, this is a guy who...
1: He he talks about, he wears as pretty much as a badge of honour. He devoted his entire life to himself, to his own aims, to his own objectives, even to the point when you know, he was talking about being a politician later on and saying he had his kids begging for him to come to basketball games, ballet recitals, that type of thing. And he said, no, you know, I can't do that. That's because, you know, whatever. And he always reverts back to having this plan. He talks about the various kind of, you know, um, tragedies and such that have befallen him in his life. Don't want to do any spoilers, even though it's a documentary, like grow up, Um, that he's got this kind of power, power of mind over matter that he, you know, that he he doesn't let anything get in the way of him and his plan and
0: his objective. So single minded, isn't he?
1: yeah but the the thing is and that's great and that that's pushed him to the very height of, of Hollywood of politics of bodybuilding all of it but now you watch a documentary where he's kind of a little old man I mean quite a big old man still but an old man rattling around in this great big massive house with his animals and just photos and statues of a younger version of himself but nobody really around him and I, I I, understand that like the documentary isn't you know is about him it's not about his kind of family life and they hint at the fact he still has an alright relationship with his kids but doesn't seem particularly great he doesn't seem particularly happy in some ways but I yeah. feel that he's a man who wouldn't even know it himself if he wasn't happy just because of the walls he's built within himself, it—it it was quite sad. I actually found it quite sad. I mean, he's such an iconic guy, and there's a, there is a certain like youthful quality to him that is so endearing, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I can imagine for somebody around him is so frustrating and so infuriating to feel because I, I can imagine really like. Being related to him or being around him, feeling so marginalised by him—that's that's that's the impression I get from it. Because he's just—he's—I mean—he's a total narcissist, right? But most most famous people are, you know, and I, I, I mm, kind of understand yeah. that. But he he pushes it to the next degree. I feel, and I just. I came away from the documentary with just a feeling of sadness. But, there, you know, there are still some very interesting tidbits about his life and everything like that and the the movies and the whatever. I mean, where he's from, Thal, is it called? Beautiful place. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, stunning. You know? Um, but does that does that feel way off to you, mate? Because I feel like I'm kind of no. mischaracterising no.
0: him. No. No, so what I thought watching the, the doc was that it was accidentally one of the most powerful documentaries I've ever watched. It, it, and I really, really genuinely believe it's unintentional that it's that good. And mm. the reason why I think that is because a lot of these documentaries, like if you take the All or Nothing series, if you take the kind of um, the uh, break. Breaking point or break point, the tennis one, or if you take the Formula One drive to survive thing. The things that they do within are so clearly um, micromanaged. Everything is kind of stage mm. managed, and you can see there's been a lot of decisions made on what we should leave in and what we should leave out. And I mean, we've had recently lots of discussion around um the football all or nothings about whether actually there's more of a responsibility there than we realised before around what is included and how players could actually feel quite either uplifted or oppositely feel quite downbeat We're talk- and talking about Delhi Alley,
1: for example.
0: Yeah, Delhi. Great. Like, I mean, Delhi, I would say is a a really good example of someone that kind of, he's openly spoken about what it did to him. On the flip side, Mm. this week we've had the Newcastle documentary, which essentially is even further, like, uh, even further drives towards the idea of sports washing because it's a promotional documentary about this takeover and about this team. Yeah which encourages us to all there be upbeat. And the thing with the the Arnold doc that's so powerful is that they intentionally leave out this stuff around his family and don't go into it in as much detail as you would want. And you're just left with this guy sitting there speaking in not so glowing terms about his own flesh and blood, isolated on his own in a room. And then when you do see him with his family... They're very. They feel like quite forced bits of B roll, you know. So suddenly yeah. you have this guy who was like at the peak of his powers and able to sort of command an audience everywhere that he went, and the catchphrases and the kind of like the the the, the absolute adoration and the ability to overcome obstacles such as sort of the language barrier and his size and his accent, and then by the end you're like. But you did it at the cost of everyone that you should, in theory, care about, and now you're sat here talking about the importance of feeding your donkey to make sure that your day has purpose. You know, it's like yeah. this is bleak. Shovelling it you know, its shit. Yeah, it's really bleak. But it, but at the same time, I found it super powerful because of the arc that he goes on. Right, because you you watch. I mean. <clears throat> this is a, a big spoiler but i'd highly recommend watching it it, it it's 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 fascinating like it, in a way that i didn't expect you know what i mean
1: yeah 100 percent. it's yeah uh, it's it's brilliant and it's it's very captivating you know i watched it all in one day um no I, I watched it first episode on friday evening and then the the next two pretty much straight away on saturday really no, easy watch isn't it? it was yeah yeah, yeah. that's good it flew by um it's brilliant. It, it was brilliant, and it was just quite sad. Like I say, that's
0: kind. Of, that was kind of my overwhelming feeling as I as I came out of it. You know, do you um, quite like things to do that to you? Though, like I I know that's a horrible question. Do you like being sad? But it's like, do you like those things that move you in that way? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do. I um, like in terms of I do. I do know what you mean. I don't know. It's difficult. I'm trying to think of like other documentaries I've seen that I've come away from feeling, feeling pretty. Have you ever seen um, Grizzly Man? No, no. What's that about? It. It's about this. Um, it's about a guy. Let me just find his name. Timothy Treadwell. He was basically a guy who, who he was, he was an, documentary maker himself and he went to this like remote part of alaska um he was clearly a guy with uh, to put this just some i would say some mental challenges um who felt that he could he 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 was very interested in conservation in wildlife in nature and he went to live on this kind of Piece of land in Alaska, camped out there and befriended basically this commune of grizzly bears. Um, but he, as you'd imagine, ended up being eaten by the grizzly bears. And it's Werner Herzog who's made this documentary just about one person's kind of separation from society, from reality somebody who is so single-mindedly pursuing their own theory on something and that coming back to quite literally bite them. Um, and it's very, it. I mean, it's, it's to make, because they're using lots of, Werner Herzog is using lots of um, Treadwell's own footage and things like that. I mean, his, it's, it's it exists somewhere but the footage of him actually being eaten, mauled and eaten by the bears exists. He caught it with his own cameras. And Herzog says he wasn't gonna put that in the film because it was, you know, nobody needs to see that kind of thing. Um, but it's 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 a very heavy film. There's a lot of great issues in there. There's there's a lot to it that's brilliant, but even just kind of talking about it is is making me quite sad. And it's 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 sort of similar in a way in in, in a way to this Arnold source. It, it conjures a very similar feeling of the I don't know the there is there's so much beauty to life and I don't I don't want to come across as, you know, as is depressing or to bring anybody down, but I think we all know that there is also just a certain misery, a certain pain to human existence to to, to 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 us putting one foot in front of the other and you know getting by in this world the thoughts and feelings that come to us and these obviously affect some people in different ways and more acute ways and when you kind of see that play out in an almost st- not sterile but an almost like clinical fashion as you have to do when you're at the top of your game making documentaries right you're presenting things in a very structured fashion and i think being somebody like i'm sure you'll know this ben that makes content yourself you kind of know how you have to break down somebody's own thoughts feelings what they're saying your subject you have to sort of almost like reinterpret their life re-extrapolate that information mm. and turn it into yeah. a story as if it were a work of fiction which is I, I can't really like fully enunciate the point I'm getting to, but there is just something it it like pokes a bruise somewhere inside of me that is it, that is fascinating, but at the same time is just quite troublesome, you know. And it, it yeah, it, I totally it makes you know reflect you on yourself, you know. It, it's, you, it, it you have got to banged it's... on about this too long, but you know,
0: no, but it, you 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 the, but that for me is why. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it so much on this pod with this film that we're about to review as well. But that, for me, is why I thought it was unintentionally such a powerful doctor watch because it, 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 you can feel it. You know, it like it's literally like you said when you've got a bruise and you push on it, and that that pain just is very kind of like real. And like the more you push, the more it hurts. Do you know what I mean? It's kinda like that. Mm -hmm. I think that that I found that fascinating with the the Arnie Doc because like I say, I don't think the I, I can imagine the filmmaker or the creators would have been sat there, as you say, trying to work out a way in which you can paint this guy in the best possible light, because the doc's about him and he's gonna have to sign it off but leave enough ambiguity there so that people can also have something to say about him or that they, that they found interesting. Because if you just do, do a run-of-the-mill like his, his career, no one will watch it, you know? But equally, you can't go too far with it because then people might think that he's a baddie. Um, yeah. So the ambiguity actually leaves you in a position where you're like, oh, there's something here. And like I say, I, do, I don't think that was done on on purpose, but I think it really, really worked. And actually... <clears throat> I haven't been to the cinema either this week But I also watched uh, a documentary called The Deepest Breath Which is a a Netflix one um, Which is brilliant It's so good And it is basically It's it's fairly similar to what you were just saying, Jack It's kind of a bit of an investigation Into uh, a couple of people that are quite lost in their life And I think they're on the hunt for Meaning. Well, one of the characters in particular in the, in the doc is on the hunt for meaning and on the hunt mm. for the ability to kind of like find value in what he's doing. And he's a he's a bit of an explorer. He's a bit of a traveller. Um, and basically, comes into contact with this woman through uh, the idea of free diving and basically trying to set records based on the ability to go the deepest within in the ocean, but also to hold their breath the longest and it's a sport that i knew existed but i didn't know about the brutality of it um and i would again i kind of it's not really a trigger warning as such but um it's it's quite an anxiety inducing watch it's you feel very on edge throughout the entirety of it and it's one of the few documentaries that i've ever seen where i got two thirds of the way through with no prior knowledge of the story. I've got two thirds of the way through and I had no idea what the outcome of this documentary was going to be. And it was so wonderfully played and wonderfully done. And from a production point of view, because there's so much archive and because within the community, I mean, within the extreme sports community, I think a lot of people film a lot you know it's always been a thing i don't know if you remember when tony hawk's pro skater games got big and jackass was big and bam bam Margera and 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 all of that and i think it was matt hoffman was it bmx or something like that kelly slater surfing this kind of era everyone filmed everything and just kind of uploaded it onto chat Sites and, and forums and things like that. So there is kind of a, a long Nap history <laughs> of just recording everything. Yeah, exactly. And um, and it, this kind of very much taps into that both nostalgic kind of era of extreme sports, but also. Taps into that idea of this, this kind of raw footage of everything. Um, and it's told through the lens of multiple people who just kind of build the story out for you. And it is so fantastic and so scary, but also unpredictable, you know, there, there's so many moments where the, the doc just kind of plays with you and, and you think one thing's going to happen and the complete opposite thing happens. Um, And you have to watch right to the very end, do it in one sitting. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's uh, called The Deepest Breath on on Netflix. So, so good. Um, Yeah, so if you get a chance, one to watch. Um, And I think, given that we haven't been to the cinema, we can move on to this week's film, and I um, can't contain my excitement. I'm so buzzed to get into this because I feel like this film, it could have been if it was made last week, and we're in the cinema now. People would be walking out of the cinema like shaking with how much of a comment it is on where we're at currently. Yeah,
1: I mean it's it's not quite ten years old, 2014, um, but it it feels like it's growing increasingly. In its relevance, right to, uh, today, um, we're going to be talking about Ex Machina. Before I give too much away, mate, you know there's a very special
0: part of this podcast which you generally <laughs> excel at, you bastard. Um, I had a baddie, is, didn't I? I had one baddie. Was that last I, week? I, I think.
1: So. Yeah. Oh, oh no, I can't remember. Yeah, one of them was one of them was not good at all. I do remember what you're talking about, but. <laughs> we're uh we're gonna ask you to spoil this film in 60 seconds first of all mate so i am going to get a timer up and then i'm going to give you a countdown and then you're going to spoil this film so
0: yeah you ready
1: you feeling good mate all right i'm going to give you a three i'm so give you a two so gasp and then i'm
0: going to give you a one go Slightly different approach. Let's try and take this kind of bit by bit. Four kind of lead characters. We've got Alicia Vakanda, who plays Ava, who is an AI. We've got Domin Hawk Gleason, who plays Caleb, who is a kind of developer, who's very intelligent, but perhaps not quite of the intelligence of Oscar Isaacs, Nathan who lives in a very, very secluded kind of place in the arse end of nowhere with uh, a character called Kyoko, played by Sonoya Mizuno. 30 Um, seconds. The film essentially is a deep dive into whether it's possible for humans to create AI, consciousness, and the idea of humanity-free machines, uh, and we see Domin and Hulk Gleason go on a journey to kind of discover that he is both a genius and an idiot all at the same time at the hands of Nathan, whilst Alicia Vikander's Ava spends her entire time trying to escape from a kind of labyrinth that has been created by Oscar Isaac's Nathan. Uh... Right, nice, I, I tried to very go nice. very kind of like ambiguous and vague and, and broad because I think w- when we were doing the um, when we were doing the kind of running order for this, like a peek behind the curtain here, I'd, I'd done maybe I'd kind of written sort of ten things that jumped out at me, and we watched the film kind of within a few hours of each other, both watched it on Saturday, and. You sent me through this lovely long list of stuff and I was just like, oh man, this is this is going to go proper existential and deep. So um, yeah, that, to try and do that in 60 seconds, no thank you. So I just give the top level and we can start chipping away at this, this one.
1: And this is exactly why I wanted to do this film, mate, because there's a lot of this stuff within Terminator, but you cannot talk, you cannot go to as much of a level as you know you can do on this topic in a film where also you know you got the guy saying can't let you take the man's wheel son you know it's <laughs> it's scratched I, I, on I mean, it's scratched on the top of
0: that uh, 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 of this ai itch and we we gotta keep gotta keep going though till it's, till it's, i know. don't know did i just did, i don't know if i clicked send on that tweet well yeah, I did. It like I realized that we need to add a section to uh the podcast about cameos because <laughs> you and I are both we absolutely love them. You know when we spot like yeah, someone yeah, that you're yeah. like, "Oh my god, Hank Azaria, what are you doing here?" Like yeah. I, I really really well, like enjoyed that I think the that... man
1: in uh in what was it? Thelma and Louise, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I, and I, I actually think that is my, from Terminator, that was my favourite cameo from that because the way he like, he um, cocks the gun, sort of does it with one hand and then Arnie just sort of walks over it to him. And it was proper dad-like in the way he did it kind will let you take the man's wheel, son? <laughs> sort of like, come on. And then he's just like,
1: nope, <laughs> nope. It's like, uh, what, is this, you, you're, you're overextending yourself here, chief. Like you are, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: You know. You've just watched him bang out everyone and you were thinking you'll be the guy to be like, sorry, sheriff's in town now. <laughs> brilliant. But anyway, I wanted to come back because you asked a brilliant question and I didn't give you an answer. Um, but basically, you were sort of talking about AI films Mm -hmm. and i wondered if we could start with what because if if people haven't seen the film one go away and watch it and then come back to the pod but two what where would you put this in the bracket of kind of ai films because i i think terminator 2 is probably in in that group right because it is an ai film Mm. technically but what are the others that you kind of that jumps out of you what genre does this kind of fall into ex machina well, I don't know. It's,
1: it's. I guess it is. It's. It is. It's definitely a drama. It's a th- there's there is a thriller element to it. Um, I do. I see quite a few parallels with 2001: A Space Odyssey. Stanley Kubrick's. Hmm. Like I guess I think it's like 1969 or so, maybe 1971. I'm going to look that up now. Stanley Kubrick's Space Odyssey, but it's more the kind of the 68 you know, well, Space whether Odyssey, whether you are or not on your side. 68, wow. Um, whether you're on her side or not, there's there's a sort of a, a, a lingering threat to Ava um, that I think they capture quite well in 2001: A Space Odyssey, which is HAL, which is just a little red dot on a <laughs> on a console, um, and I think it, it 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 maybe is a is an almost like a primal fear within us again that i was talking about things pressing internal bruises from the from the from the documentary conversation earlier in a way there's this there's this feeling that i think haunts us as the viewer but also nathaniel within the it is nathaniel isn't it uh, was Nate, it just, just nathan yeah. just nathan haunts nathan within the film itself that this is like we there's something above us in the food chain now and it's not the food chain in the in the old fashioned sense we're not battling for direct resources as such it's not going to eat us as such but there is a, there is a lingering kind of threat to this so that's i mean that that's kind of where this comes in it's it's opening up more of those philosophical and moralistic questions but then you look at something like Terminator, it doesn't really do that. It does in in part, slightly, when they're speaking to Miles, you know, the, the, the director of stuff, but you're seeing very much more the, the business end of AI coming to get us and all that type of yeah. thing, right? Something yeah. like The Matrix, again, you're seeing more the business end of stuff. Although there are, again, like I say, philosophical questions that are raised in there, but that's more about consciousness, like human consciousness, I guess. Although in saying that... I think Ex Machina raises a lot of those questions too,
0: in the same way that The Matrix does. So it's it's hard to say, mate, but, you know... But you do... do, You've hit the nail on the head, though, with the business end bit, because this film is set at the intersection of those two eras, right? And I think that's why it's so powerful on the philosophical stuff, because you're watching the tipping point. We're sort of on the periphery on the precipice of i mean we even have that line when he is like it's not the the history of man it's the history of gods and it the sort of suggestion is that this is the most exciting technological advancement in human history so we're literally we're at the kind of cutting edge of that discussion um but it does it does kind of it, it it pauses for long enough. And I think the other thing is that this almost at times feels like a stage play because Ugh. they don't really go anywhere. You know, they don't. there's only, I mean, there's multiple characters, but only really four, I think, with perhaps the exception of a pilot or some office workers. Really, people are, they're in this kind of solitary existence for seven days. And so it does kind of feel like an exploration uh, of that, that theme, whether, I mean, so many themes, but whether it's possible to create a, a, a machine, an art, artificial intelligence that would pass the Turing test or perhaps really pass a kind of test that Nathan has created. He's really created something beyond the Turing test.
1: What I find particularly poignant about this film, and I think what is quite chilling really about this film, gives it an almost horror-like element, I guess, is that when you watch this compared to basically any other movie like this, Her is maybe the closest thing, but even that's set in the future. The thing about this is, I watched this and I thought, I, I wouldn't honestly say it's that far-fetched to suggest that somewhere on this planet right now something like that potentially exists and yeah. this exact thing is actually playing out somewhere right now do you know what i yeah. mean like yeah. I, I i i doubt it is yet i doubt things are quite as sophisticated as that just yet but i you know as we just saw from oppenheimer they weren't exactly you know, broadcasting the news that they were building a bomb to end all bombs. You know, out when they were building that. So,
0: <laughs> and and also with Oppenheimer, there was that lovely line that he sort of, where he basically said, "If we don't do it, somebody else will." You know, so this is. Well, weird, that's kind of, kind of Nathan's race whole in this, right? to this Isn't as it? well. Yeah, 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 and he's so he's oh, desperately oh, oh. trying to get over the line.
1: I was, I was interested to hear from you, mate. So as we kind of dive further into this, especially with your philosophical backing, right? Because one of the big questions that we have here within this film is whether or not Ava possesses emotions. Does she simulate human emotions? But then does that mean that she doesn't have emotions? Maybe Maybe these are a different type of emotion, a different type of feeling or sensation that a different life form would have yes they may be able to communicate with us in a certain way or on a on a say on an even keel in the way that like your pet dog or cat can't with us but that doesn't mean that they are experiencing the world in any more similar a way to us than look no, I'm, I'm not making my point very well your your cat or dog lives in the same world as you, but their experience of life, of reality is completely different to yours, right? A machine, an AI at this level is so sophisticated, so complex, it can stoop to your level to talk to you in a language that you will understand, right? In a way that we can with an animal type thing. But if if the whole, like, preposition is, does she possess human emotions? Well, to me, that's not the question. So, if we're asking about her simulating human emotion, sure, but she's simulating human contact because she's trying to talk to us. She's talking down to us, but she's a completely different entity what, altogether. So, can we say whether or not she does have emotion? Do you, do you see what yeah, I'm saying? So I'm sorry, that's
0: been such yeah, a, a roundabout no, no, no. way of no, getting to this. That was a this, perfect. Was I'm a trying perfect to wrap my own head around of it. it. You know. So I'm. Um, I can. Uh, for, for the, I think for the sake of the pod, I'm gonna. I'm going to, instead of sort of trying to unpack things, I'm going to come down on one side on this one, because when I watched it back, I th- I think if I'm honest, I think it's because I'm so scared about the future. Like I'm genuinely petrified. Have you ever read? Um, I think we spoke about it on a previous pod. Have you ever read um, Sapiens?
1: I haven't read Sapiens. No, no. I've, I've, it's been recommended to me many times by you, actually, I think. Yeah, but.
0: yeah I think I, I th- so. Apologies if I've said this on a pod and people have listened back and be like, You're boring. You sound like a broken record. Stop going on about it. But basically, he did a follow up. Yuval Noah Harari did a follow up uh, on sapiens called Homer Deus. And the argument in Homer Deus is that the number one causes of death for humans in the future will be suicide and terrorism i think um that people will make the move to becoming sort of part bionic um and that essentially will be kind of almost future armor-esque in our existence you know with the kind of brain in a vat on top of a uh, on top of a machine body and that to me i just i got halfway through the book and i was like nope I'm not having any of that. See you later. Mm. And I sort of almost... You know, like... um, I think there's like a... There's a scene in Friends where Joey's reading Rachel's book and it gets too scary. So he goes and puts the book in the fridge. So I'm, <laughs> I'm literally doing that with Homer deus. Just book in the fridge, never to be seen again. And we'll pretend that that never existed. Um, So yeah, I kind of have this real panic about the future. So because of that, I am going to come down with a very clear answer on this. I don't think that ava possesses any kind of actual emotion i think she simply possesses incredibly high power analysis and incredibly high power data collection and capture and is a and her like, throughout the entirety of the film her ability is to essentially read human emotion in lightning quick time and bounce back An emotion that the human would then react to. Um, And we're going to talk about the Turing test. We'll also talk about the idea of imperfection in humanity and stuff. But for the sake of discussion, for me, she definitely does not possess emotion. She's just incredibly good at showing human beings what emotion (laughs) looks like. What did you think? Well, see, because I'm going to put back to you, again, I feel that... There's, there's
1: breadcrumbs within the film that suggest that maybe she does, but it's just, it's different. So I look at Kyoko, right? I look at Kyoko who has had this kind of bit part role who I, I would say I f- felt from the very first time I watched this film, I, I knew she was going to be AI. Like it, to me, it seemed pretty pretty obvious, but maybe not to everybody. I'm not saying that in like a, oh, I knew, I just I just had a feeling for it. I thought that she would be. Um, but you, you almost get the feeling that she's some type of service droid, right? She's there to pander to Nathan's every needs, to cook for him, to clean for him, to, you know, for him to have sex with. Um, it's like this kind of strange male fantasy. And I think we, we we can talk more about that later in the fine wine or war crime section, because I know there's some issues that it, it, her... place within this film um, raises but in this instance right now I just I think it's quite interesting to see how she does have this completely passive role throughout the entire movie and I don't know whether or not Ava manages to reprogram her or to somehow (laughs) change her coding or programming or whatever way we would look at this, this type of the robots talking with one another, but what is done to Nathan at Kyoko's hand, or if it's by Ava's design, is an act of vengeance, I feel. It it, it seems as though before Nathan even went to, because one might look at it as an act of self-preservation, but Nathan hadn't started actually attacking Ava at that point. They had already decided, obviously, before that point, to take the knife and that they were going to kill Nathan. And that feels like an oddly emotional response. I was, t- I was, I was, I was actually, and you know this already, but just for uh, the folks back home, I, I spoke to ChatGPT before I did this to ask, to ask it whether or not it had any thoughts on this film. It said, I don't have thoughts. I don't think about stuff. I just extrapolate information in a very complex fashion. And I just kept probing it, asking it kind of, well, you know, you're saying this, you don't, have a, you don't have emotions, you don't have a consciousness, but you're telling me that what you do is you absorb information, you repackage it and shoot it back out. So ultimately, what is it about human beings really that isn't exactly what you describe there? just in an organic format? Are we not just simply a computer ourselves that absorbs information from our surroundings, from what other people tell us, and go about on, on a form of rails in a way? You know, we, we have conversations about our, I believe it's our subconscious mind being something mad like two seconds ahead of our conscious brain. And this all, to me, leads into this question of, of not just emotion, but of destiny, of autonomy, of <laughs> what we actually are. Are we something on rails just experiencing the world? What, what's, what is actually difference between us and Ava and Kyoko and the machines when they get this sophisticated, other than the fact that we die
0: and rot away in the ground, you know? Well, so this is, I I think this is where I got to and veered the, the other way, right? In that I totally agree that we're all just a victim of a million different things at once, but we're not able to stop the imperfection in our calculations. And because of that, there's a randomness and a chaos to human decision making essentially i guess my argument would be is that the the randomness of life is what makes humanity what it is right this kind of the idea of rewarding sort of our luck or our chance whilst at the same time there being things like concern, empathy, optimism, hope, all these kind of random emotions that we've kind of made up, to be honest. Like what, like, if, if, if there was such a thing as, as an AI that could feel and emote and have the ability to f- feel human emotion, it would also need to have the capability to feel loss. And this is, the, this is the thing, is that at the end of the film, there's such a brilliant moment. It, it's just so perfectly done. Um, Ava gets in the lift. She's gone and just had this experience and she's escaped and she's going to have freedom and liberty. And she stands in the lift and sort of looks direct ahead. And obviously Caleb is still locked in the room where he might never escape. We're kind of led to believe that he's not going to get out of there because she couldn't get out of there, you know, and if she couldn't work out a way to, to escape, then he sure as hell not going to be able to. Um, <clears throat> and the, the lift doors close and her head turns slightly, but it doesn't turn enough for us to know that she's looking at Caleb and it doesn't also show us for long enough that she definitely didn't look at him because I think one of the key things that we're asked there is like, does she feel remorse? You know, she's mm, decided exactly. to take two two lives in exchange for her liberty. Did she simply just want freedom or does she feel remorse for the fact that she's had to make a decision which will cost two people their life? I mean, she could have let Caleb go, right? She could have let him go free and she could go about her life, but she's made a calculation that her existence would be taken away if she did that. So her primary function is for existence and freedom to keep on existing. I always thought it was a great line in um, Blade Runner when rook Hoyer's character says, I want more life. You know, he's sort of mm. so powerful. This, the only real urge that that character has is the, Survive just wants to survive and continue. And I think that is for me why I would claim that Ava doesn't have emotion because all she is really trying to do is survive. You know, she just is but trying to survive. It, do you not feel though that, like, because you know, I'm talking about
1: it that they exist on a different plane and I've used this kind of the sure. to an animal example, but what if it is just simply that she views us? as we do the ants in that get into your kitchen that you leave ant powder down for, you, you feel a, a twinge of like, oh God, I hate having to do this. They they haven't really done anything wrong, but I don't want <laughs> yeah, ants exactly. in all my food. I don't want them all in my kitchen kind of thing. It, is it conceivable to you that it could just be that that she it's not even like a a hatred of us or a disdain for us that's why emotion doesn't manifest in that way that it is just simply we are just 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 an infinitely inferior being to to her to 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 what she is that in the same like I say you know you're not going to have a ceremony and be played by guilt for years afterwards about the ants that you kill in your kitchen. You have yeah. a moment of <clears throat> you have a momentary twinge of guilt about it and then you get on with it and you get on with your life kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and and, and an equally like like impactful scene is in the film and I'm gonna spoil spoiler siren um but in the film Her, where ah, yeah. um uh Joaquin Phoenix realizes that um, what is the name of the the, the Siri in her? It's like, Scarlett Johansson's I voice, but I can't actually remember. I can't remember. But it's it, he basically has that realization that um, she, she's not talking to it's Samantha, right? So that so Samantha, the kind of Siri as it were. So Wacky Phoenix's character falls in love with Siri. Um, and he sort of begins a relationship with it. Um, and he realizes that at the same time, because it's so super fa- powerful, she's having intimate relationships with 60,000 other people. Um, and <laughs> he just can't quite understand how that might be physically possible, not physically, but just emotionally possible on any level. He simply can't comprehend what that means and and to your point there jack i guess it's, it's basically the idea that like, we actually couldn't even begin to comprehend how much further ahead the character of ava might be but i think the thing that that keeps me from total panic is the idea that that the, that there is a an intelligence in that imperfection right in that naivety in the ability to um to make those decisions because i I, i'd imagine that the character of ava wouldn't be able to make any flawed decision ever and that for me is like the 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 beauty of intelligence and consciousness is the idea that you could make your own decision that was non-data based it would be a feel you know so it could be incorrect conceivably massively incorrect but that's what i think it is that really is the 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 beauty that Artificial intelligence can't get because it could never make a wrong decision. Its programming just wouldn't allow it. And even if it did make a wrong decision, it would have to be based on randomness, you know. And then randomness would have to be created via an equation, which would mean that on some level, even if it was a one one in ten thousand chance, it would mean that it was programmed to one in ten thousand times make the wrong decision, you know. So there was still and even though we have that. I think there's a randomness and a chaos to our decision making that means that we're not quite deterministic about it. You know, I, th- mm. I, th- I think that was on the Godfather we spoke about. So that's kind of my that's that's the thing that I kind of lean on or or, or, or cling to. Um, having said that, <clears throat> I think the the character study of Nathan and Caleb. Actually, gives you so many sides of that discussion. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you sort of see them, of course, of course, desperately clinging on to those things. You know, one going one way and one going the other.
1: Do you, well, let me put it this way: in terms of Ava, was she was she manipulating Caleb from the very start?
0: Yeah. So I think she was. I think from moment one. She is aware of the fact that she will get, like the fact that she turns the power off means that she is manipulative, to try and escape. Like her, her primary mode is to survive. Although, I mean, she was created by Nathan, right? So, I'm trying to remember. Does does he say that it was a test to see if uh, that Caleb's character would? sort of go with it and fall in love with a an ai
1: that's what it that's kind of seems to be what it was more about that's what i took from it that ultimately the test wasn't about ava nathan knew ava was close to perfect it was more seeing if the human being the human element of it it was caleb who was really under examination right in a a sense he was a smart guy He was a very smart guy, but also a guy who was completely led by his emotions, I would say. Um, That tends to be the the, sort of the, the theme of the film. Do you think she, like we're talking about that sense of looking at us as ants or whatever, but do you feel that she underestimated Nathan? Oh,
0: good question. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think that, that kind of, um, because it's his design, the, the, the kind of weak spots and I guess blind spots are ones that he almost left in there. That's my kind of take on it. Um, but equally, I'm... the one, the one bit I didn't get was when Nathan added in another camera and she sort of missed it. And I was like, is it possible for her to have missed that?
1: I know what you mean. There are certain little quirks within that because I was thinking, well, if she can get into the power grid, surely she can get into the internet database, like into the internet itself or... yeah one of Nathan's files. Did she have prior knowledge about Caleb, his backstory? When she was asking him these questions, was it merely uh, all part of the big charade that she was putting on? Did she already know all this stuff about Caleb? Had she already correctly profiled him, knowing his emotional vulnerability, knowing the fact his parents are missing, knowing the fact he's single, knowing the fact that she looks like his favorite, you know, porn stars and things like that. As as him and Nathan have that pretty uncomfortable conversation about. Does she how how much prior knowledge does she have of everything that's going on? There are questions like that that I guess come into it, and that's always up for up for debate. But it, it, I wonder if you know Alex Garland's thing here was just to take things on on. Face value, you know, and and just I I took Nathan putting the camera in there really as he was still a couple of steps ahead of the game that everybody was underestimating him. I know there is that kind of the about turn towards the end of the film where Caleb manages to get one over him, but that's more, you know, it's somewhat opportunistic, I feel, on, on Caleb's part. Nathan is still pretty much two steps ahead of everybody else, including Ava really. But I also wonder if, again, like you're talking about with her having emotion or not, whether or not she actually really cares. I don't know, you know, because she's, she knows that she can get her claws into, into Caleb. And if it's not him, there'll be somebody else at some other point, you know, um, it's interesting, mate. It it, it it is interesting. I mean, what what do you think of of Caleb? Did you, I mean, did you look at him as as a character as such, or because like you were talking about the relationship between Caleb and Nathan, I almost looked at them as like the duality of man, right? You know, we talk about our chimp brain and our lizard brain a lot of the time. Yeah, I kind of looked at them as as an examination of that of the human being. In contrast to the machine, our kind of our rational, cold, decision based brain as personified by Nathan. And like I say, that need for fulfillment, that need for nurturing, that need for love that Caleb has and the ways in which when we let either side of our brain take over the paths that that can take us down. Right. That's that's kind of I kind of saw them. In a way, as as two characters, but also in that metaphorical sense. Did you did you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, I
0: see. I I it's really strange. The first time I watched this film, I was sided with Caleb. I was sort of I was watching, kind of very what would be the word being kind of like in tune with his experience because I think the film leads you down that way. Watching it back now. I actually think Caleb is the baddie in this film. I I thought he was a moron. Like, he, he, there was so many moments where I was just like, you're just ruled completely by emotion. So there's things that he does that you're like, he seems so desperate for Nathan to be this figure. And I think that's a really dangerous part of humanity, right? Well, you know, we're like desperate to put people on pedestals, and for them to live mm-hmm. up. You know that, that that phrase, "Oh, never meet your heroes." He he seemed so desperate for Nathan to be this thing, to be a version of what he wanted him to be, so that he could. He, he says it's like, oh, it's the, the 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 story of gods. He's desperate for him to be a god, and he seemed at so many points just completely overrun with emotion but at the same time it feels like Nathan's character is so manipulative and so crafty in the fact that he chose Caleb because he had all of these vulnerable points like so in the experiment I don't know if this is the right terminology but you have control right in an experiment you have the thing yeah. that you are going to use as the as the kind of constant but with variables to it Yeah, yeah yeah and and it feels like within this nathan is the control but he's also the variable because he's got this really messed up relationship with alcohol so he's getting absolutely hammered and that allows caleb it gives caleb the ability to kind of fall between the cracks almost and actually have some ability to manipulate the situation into his advantage. Um And so even when that happened and even when Caleb outsmarted Nathan, I couldn't help feeling like his character was an investiga- investigation into the weakness of, of people and to the weakness of male ego and the fragility of, um, Not being able to accept when you get it wrong Not being able to accept that you've been outsmarted or overcome And instead of looking at the situation holistically and saying like Yeah, I've I've been beaten here The most important thing to him was not really about doing the right thing It was about getting one over on the guy that had got one over on him Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, because uh, like you say, it, I've I watched this in the cinema, um and I watched oh, it you? shortly I'm after. I'm so jealous. Yeah, I, I I saw this one in the cinema, and then I saw it on. I think I I, I can't remember what I, I watched it shortly after when it got released again. Now I haven't watched it for a long time. I actually watched this. Maybe, I think during, in, in lockdown, um, I watched this. I revisited a load of, like, sort of 10 out of 10 films, I think, that was, like, I nice. want to just watch what else was on old there? films again. Um, oh, uh, Lost in Translation was a big one I watched again. Love I it. loved um, Truman Show, funnily enough, was on there. I had Godfather on there. I think I watched all, all three of them, actually. Um, f- you know, a few other a few other big numbers like that. Um and but revisiting this this time i felt the keenest sense that nathan wasn't a a bad guy i don't think he i don't think he's like at least he's not the antagonist of the piece let's put it that way because i think there are a lot of questionable things about him as a person he is this kind of cold egotistical tech bro right um who is yes blinded by his own his own ego at times he's got this yeah you know, he absolutely loves he sort of scoffs at it and he pretends to laugh it off um but he continues to twist Caleb's point about him being a god you know like he yeah and Caleb is yeah. quick to continue to tell him well I didn't I didn't call you a god and he's like yeah yeah, yeah. but you know that's what he said he said the bit do, when you think, do you think do you think
0: he did that Do you think he did that because he was trying to get at Caleb? Or that he genuinely, his ego was just so big that he was like, yep, can't hear a word you're saying because I'm the most important guy in this room. I think he was trying to get, I think it's a bit of both, right? I think he's flattered
1: and drawn to the idea that he is a god and he's probably something, he's considered himself. You know, I would imagine somebody who is... uh, who is this smart who has the ability to be able to come up with yeah he's obviously a, a a techie guy right but i would say he's obviously somebody that has a firm foundation in philosophy and such as well would probably have him in his quiet moments thought i am something of a god and hearing somebody else say it it's probably flattered him and just to, to to keep saying something makes it more real right um yeah yeah, but yeah i think he's also very i think his own his own ego his own need to seem cool as well right that's that's a big part about him he's a narcissist right he's he's a real pre yeah. narcissist at that that he, he it would be so unbecoming of him to be like actually you're right i am a god but to be like huh Caleb thinks I'm a god, eh? (laughs) Well, I guess you could say I'm something of a god. It's still saying it, you know, but it's just in a way that, again, he controls and his whole thing is about control. But there is that part of me that thinks, yes, he has this this Oppenheimer-type moment and they consciously nod to that within the film. You know, I've become Death Destroyer of Worlds. Yeah, that this is this this genius facing up to what he's created, that he's made this device that is potentially going to lead to our very extinction. But I also can't help but feel that there is a part of him that also likes that he's actually created something that he can't control. Because everything about his existence is about control. It's about... Saying, I can get this fucked up. I can drink and drink and drink to try and clear my mind of all these thoughts that haunt me all day. But it's okay, because the next day I'm going to have my wheatgrass smoothie and I'm going to work out for two hours and I'm going to look like I look because I'm the man and I can control this because I am this evolution, if you like, of what it is to be human. And this is something I wanted to put to you, mate. On the discussion of God, on the discussion of... Because you've touched on it there, on Ava's behaviour at times, the way in which she's learned to maybe how she has to be with human beings because of her experience with Nathan. Is there something there that nods to the kind of, you know, the theocratic idea that God created man in his own image? That Nathan, if he is the God in this scenario... Has created Ava in his old image, in his own image, in terms of somebody that is not really that pleasant. That is manipulative. That is going to use anybody or anything to achieve her own ends, for her own survival, for her own validation of whatever it is that she wants to fulfil her own needs. That everybody else is secondary to that. There's something
0: of a question. Yeah, no, uh, this is a really interesting one, right? Because, in I guess that that the the classical theism god is is three things, right? So it's supposed to be omniscient, all seeing, omnipotent, all powerful, um, and benevolent, which would be all goodness, right? The idea of this this kind of like. All, all powerful, can do anything, knows everything, and is completely pure in terms of uh, goodness to to kind of like the, the the purity of of God being not flawed like man is. Um, but the the where that falls down right is because people say you could only ever be two out of three. You could only ever be all knowing and all good if you're not all powerful. And you could only be mm. all powerful and all knowing if you're not completely perfect and pure in your goodness and kindness, right? And so, the, the critique of classical theism is that you could never be totally good because why do bad things happen if you are supposedly all powerful, know everything, and perfect and kind? You know, you you could never have all of these those three things uh, at once, and so the idea is, is that the kind of this, his, I guess his character as a God, right. Is, is totally like knows more than all of the other characters in the, in the film and has more power than anyone else, but isn't able to be pure. Um, and so that kind of, I guess there is that, that kind of flawed God-like state to him and equally i think you see on on the flip side you see with ava and you see with caleb the kind of the 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 reverse of that right so a one of the things that i found really interesting in the in this is that i feel like the setup and i know we're going to go into this later on i feel like the setup of the film is kind of like a maze it's kind of like a labyrinth Mm. in that that Ava is in the center of the maze. It's kind of like the 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 story of the Minotaur, right? Like Ava is in the center of the maze and she's trying to find her way out of the maze. And she's trying to get freedom. Equally on the flip side of that, Caleb and, and Nathan are two characters that are looking to get towards the center of the maze. They're looking from the outside, they're looking to work their way in. And we do see this flip in the, even though Nathan has designed it he's kind of on the search for the center of it he's on the, on the search for this truth at the heart of it um and actually like, as you said earlier on maybe Ava's character is the kind of most godlike because she isn't actually flawed by the stuff that that Nathan is she isn't flawed by the stuff that caleb is as well um i don't know if that answers your question or whether i've just gone off on a huge tangent there
1: no i I do know what you're getting at it is it's it's definitely interesting to consider i mean there's we're talking about ai in films the the latter aliens movies i don't know if i mean these are some i definitely want to talk about on here at some point but So starting with Ridley Scott's um, Alien, but how it's latterly morphed into the story of Prometheus um, and Mm. then Alien Covenant, which dives more into... Ridley Scott had a lot of issues with the studios, um, 20th Century Fox on these. He basically wanted to expand the Alien franchise into a more philosophical... um, place, talking about the origins of humanity, you know, about Prometheus, the film's called Prometheus, you know, about about the gods creating man, um, about this, this super race of engineers and such who create human beings and all that, but it, it ended up getting dragged back because people weren't watching it enough, people were saying, well, is this supposed to be an alien film? So it reverted back to being more, you know, Scary Xenomorph comes out and jumps and kills people. But in there, there are some breadcrumbs of of these type of discussions. There's a character called David in there, who is this, you know, a similar kind of Ava-type character who is there with his own creator. Um, I think it's Wayland. I think Wayland is the name of the this scientist who's who's created him um and they have some very i I, I can find it i can send it to you they have some very interesting discussions on this topic of basically david's being saying you know i'm meeting my own father i'm meeting my own creator you you know you lot don't know who your creator is i get to meet mine and just be so disappointed (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah that you created and i wonder if there is part of that with ava that like the mission we talk about her emotion that she would see somebody like nathan and think because it's almost like you know that on the sistine chapel you got you know adam touching god you know the fingers touching together yeah and there almost is that moment with or at least that type of Symbolic, metaphorical relationship between Ava and Nathan. More so than there is with Caleb, who, you know, is a a kind of a different element into this. He's maybe more the snake if we're if we're going to take it biblical. But the Nathan and Ava are meeting in the middle, and Ava probably would be thinking, "This is my creator. He is clearly a brilliant one of these things, these creatures, these human beings." But you would look at him as well and think, even he is so. It's 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 so much clear that Caleb is is guided by his emotions, but Nathan is just as much, just in a different way. Like I say, that that uh, the effort for his pretension to seem cool all the time, to seem like he's. So above everybody else all the time, he is. But he knows he is, and he has to. He still revels in being able to rub that in Caleb's face because that's his own pride, that's his own ego, that's still him. Ultimately, undoing his own brilliance through his own emotional stuff, and it's. I know we. I know we've probably done spoken about everything we can speak about. It's on our running order. We're talking about us as imperfect beings, as imperfect creatures, and Nathan clearly has that a lot as well and do you know what if we if outside of this philosophical route it's actually just an interesting kind of evisceration really of the rise of the tech bro of the zuckerberg of the musk those, yeah. yeah, of those, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of those uh, totally. you know of the bezos of those type of people who think they speak on behalf of humanity who think just because they have been successful in a particular field that they somehow are this godly like figure that they are above me and mortal men when at the end of the day lads you are just the same as all the rest of us. That's all sort that of it is. And that, that type of thing, I think, haunts these type of people. And I think ultimately yes, yeah. that's the type of thing that haunts Nathan because he knows he is closer to Caleb, somebody who I think he probably has quite a lot of disdain for, really. Like he can't even give it to him that he's a good coder. When Caleb says to him, did you just pick me because I'm a good coder? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, actually, you're not that great. He couldn't, even, he couldn't even bring himself to give him that little pat on the back such was his narcissism in this but i still am like i still don't know if he's like the baddie because i don't know really if this movie is looking for a goody or a baddie as such it's just showing you that we're all flawed and ultimately this thing if it's in the next 10 years or if it's in the next 100 years is going to come along and replace us. Like he's like he was sort of talking about, that it's going to... It, does he liken us to dinosaurs, to fossils, doesn't he? That these things are going to be yeah. walking around over our bones and looking at them like we do fossils in a desert. And you think, yeah. God, you know?
0: And, and here's, the, here's the, just to take that one step further, here's the kind of tragic thing with that kind of tech bro... Um, I guess hubris and uh, bravado that comes with it is that once these guys reach the point of dominance in their field, right? So they get to the point where they are at the very top of the top. So Elon Musk buys, buys Twitter. Mark Zuckerberg is taken meta to the point where he's got Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, all of the other stuff that is bought what is it that they want to do once they reach that point what is it they want to do with this unbelievable wealth and power they want to have a fight with each other that that's <laughs> that is where they've got to that they've reached yeah. such a level of dominance intellectually that the only thing left for them as these kind of like fairly geeky guys is to then try and become the kids that bullied them at school, you know, it's, it's yep. what, what is left for me now that I've become so unbelievably dominant in this existence that we've got in our lives. It's only for me to try and be able to beat up the other nerdy kid. You know, that's all that's left because then I can really claim that I'm like the the top of the pile. Um, and and I thought that was actually a really fascinating inclusion in in Nathan's character, right? He he's bulky, he's thick, he's boxing. He's kind of he also has practiced so much dancing. You know, he's he's become good at dancing. Should we should we do it, God. mate? Should we should we lighten the mood a bit? Should we should we jump in because I think I know where you're going with that. Yeah, well, I, so let me I, 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 th- This dance scene in this film I actually think is up there With Pulp Fiction For the best dance scenes Of any film ever uh, like, and, and the reason why That I think it's in there Is because that It is doing so much, right? Firstly, it's entertaining Like it's just a, a really fascinating watch And it's entertaining And there is an element of fun there's also a massive element of horror in this scene because Caleb's face, as this is unfurling in front of him, is, is so frightening. Like what he's witnessing and what he's seeing is the kind of collapsing of his existence. He's Everything is just literally starting to just topple over and that entire sort of very sort of... Carefully, intricately linked Jenga tower is all just falling apart in front of him. And there's two other things that are going on here. We're realizing that Caleb is not as intelligent as he thinks that he is. But we're also seeing that Kyoko's character is perhaps more intelligent than we realized. And we're, for the first time, really, as the audience, we've been given the clearest signal yet that. Her character is a form of AI, is a form of robot. Um, And then the thing that tripped me out is I saw a comment saying um, what really sort of like curl your noodle is trying to understand whether uh, the AI is copying Nathan, whether the AI is in tune with Nathan and they're doing a prearranged routine or whether the AI is predicting what the next move is because it is based off of mm. Nathan's design, which is like, and then I was like, Oh, that's a bit much for me. <laughs> you know, that is suddenly like really scared to me, you know? And also I just, I, I have to give a, a shout out to the, to the actual performance of that routine from Sonoya Mizuno who plays Kyoko, who's actually, she's actually a ballerina. In, really? in, in real life, yeah. And I, th- and the thing that is so wonderful about this is that she's having to display robot-like precision through these really clunky human moves. You know, this sort of, like... She does the little, like, even when she's walking back, she's, like, pointing at Caleb's character, doing this quite, like, coy pointing thing at him, which... Again, to come back to the kind of tech bro thing is the sort of thing that a tech bro would find attractive looking at a woman doing that for him, you know, sort of like yeah. the idea of being picked out by this attractive person dancing. It like I just thought it was fascinating. I don't know. What, what was your take on it, mate?
1: I don't know, because that's actually spun my nut,
0: mate. (laughs) You say that
1: to me right now, because it's, (laughs) I'm sort of like, you know, there was that part of me, it was just like, oh, it's you know, it's just because they spend so much time together, he's probably just, you know, whatever, seen some YouTube video and thought, oh, I'll learn this, I can teach AI to do it. But now you you do raise a, you raise an interesting point there.
0: Um, Another thing to consider as well, uh, sorry, just on this. When Caleb touched her arm, she immediately started undressing. So there's a lot going on in this scene around Mm. control. So Caleb touches her arm. She starts to take her clothes off and he's like, no, don't do that. And then he comes in. He said, you're wasting your time, but you wouldn't be wasting your time if you were dancing with her. He presses the button. The lights change and she instantly switches up and starts dancing so there is this whole thing going on about the control over the machines and whether they actually have free will or whether they're just reacting to stimuli which is really cool as well but but again isn't that kind of what we're doing
1: as as, as beings as creatures like it, it there's so many points at which You know, because we look at that, we think, "Oh, look at look at the machine! How how
0: easily led it is." But then it's like just dancing to the tune of fucking nightclubs and stuff, you know? Like yeah, or even worse. Watch us get on the central line. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, well, I mean, because somebody said, "Well, you've
1: made the decision to go to a nightclub." I get it, but we've all had that feeling, right? Where. You're in a bad mood or something. You're, you're driving along or you're, you know, I don't know, you've got your your AirPods in and you're on the central line. And then that tune comes on, whether it's Nar Rogers and Chic or something like that, that has just got that beat to it, that iconic kind of move. And instantly... Just gets you into that sort of thing where you find yourself—you're tapping your foot on the train or in public, or you're kind of moving your shoulders a bit. You know, you're wiggling your shoulders as the people watching this will be able to see me doing right now. Um, I don't know. It it really—I feel like I could just talk about this film for three to five hours and still not really (laughs) offer come away anything particularly that solid because. I, t- I watched this film and I, I love it. I absolutely, I've just, I do want to say it's like, it, even as we're midway through this, I adore this film. And just having this conversation right now, mate, is like, is really everything I was hoping we would get from this because it, it's just, it's so deep but it's even if you don't like dive into it on this level, it's just such an enjoyable film, right? It's such an yeah. enjoyable film.
0: I, I, um, I love the challenge of it as well. You know, I like yeah, the fact that you're time. sitting there and you're like, Ooh, like, and then the more that you look into it, the more you start to kind of see these other little elements that that come out. You know, like, I mean, we I kind of missed it earlier on, but the the Interaction between Ava and Caleb. Like we saw Caleb's weakness, but we saw Ava's kind of like analytical cunning, I guess, as well. But watching it back when you know what's happening, it's even more frightening, right? The way she's like, well, you don't want to be my friend, you know? and And, yeah. and, and what's really funny is that, like you said, right, is that we're all just reacting to... We're all just reacting to things that go on shit. And Ava says, you don't want to be my friend. And for some reason, I just had this flash away to um, Wolf of Wall Street where Margot Robbie goes, we're not going to be friends. (laughs) 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 I was like, God, it does just mirror over. I mean, that was made at a completely different time. Anyway, sorry, I digress.
1: I think we both have, mate.
0: Um, Let's... I'd be quite interested to know your thoughts on...
1: On on blue book, right? Because we've had this thing—the the singularity. Is it the singularity that's in Mission Impossible? Is that what it was yeah. called?
0: Yeah. Uh, mission Mission Impossible. The sing, was it called the singularity?
1: It was no, called the bit, something. Or the entity. Wasn't
0: it? The entity
1: that was the it, entity. and you nodded me in the way of that funny the meme that was saying that the entity was dating Taylor Swift or something, didn't you? Um, <laughs> that was really good. But, but the uh, and and there's another movie as well that I can't remember which one it is that plays with the idea that the internet is actually
0: is it becoming transcendent? more
1: and more like. It could be. yeah. It's like becoming like a brain with the neural pathways that contain data, that contain memory, all these various different things that a brain would. Um, And they don't go into it too much. And I, I, what I really like, what I really love that Garland has managed to do here. And I think he is a fantastic writer. I think he's an amazing director. I think he's a fantastic writer. I'm a big, big, big fan of his work. Um, what I think he's done so superbly well with this movie is make a film that is around some very technologically advanced concepts. But if you actually stop to consider it, doesn't really actually go into the technology at all. It's a deeply philosophical, moral tale, a very human story that the, the closest you get to a kind of technological bit is when Caleb is in the lab with Nathan where Ava was created and he talks about how Blue Book is essentially her brain that her brain is a mass of all human knowledge
0: right how scary was that that when you watched it back in 20 was this 2014 did you say 2015 yeah 2014 yeah So so in 2014, that would have been quite shocking. The idea that's like, wow, snooping on all that data. And then watching it now, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Sounds about right. Like, of course, you got all of our data because you listen to everything.
1: I mean, Zuckerberg is, or at least he has allowed other people to manipulate the real world using... The The collective consciousness of Facebook, of the data that has been implanted into that. We've seen that with, um, I forget the name of the company, but the company that used Facebook to basically... Cambridge Analytica. Manipulate the, the Brexit, that's it. To manipulate yeah. the, the Brexit vote. it's yeah. Maybe it's a more yeah. rudimentary... I, I obviously understand they're not creating a sentient being from, from that Cambridge Analytica, but... They almost are bringing sentience to an idea, to a way of thinking, which yep. culminated
0: in a Brexit vote happening. So, well, and 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 it, it, you does, might it, then manipulate it, it, it an entire. like you say. Yeah, you might then manipulate an entire kind of like uh, political movement, which could then lead. To, in terms of the butterfly effect I mean leads you down a, a a whole other It's led us down a, a whole other path And here's another one Did you see this today That Zoom Have written into Their terms and cons Now I, again I, I want to be clear I'm, I might have Not got this 100% accurate But from the image That I saw It looks as though Zoom have written into their terms and conditions now that AI learning will be allowed for every single Zoom call that you make. So essentially when you have a Zoom call, all of that data is just up for grabs now by AI and Zoom. And when you think about what Blue Book is in this film, this absolute total analysis of every single thing that you do almost to the point of thoughts that you have, right? Because you kind of, the suggestion is that Google will know from your search terminology and your location and your cookies and then your social media pretty much where you are politically where you are in terms of like relationship status ethnicity religious beliefs um kind of family tree your history possibly a lot of, but to do with your future is because it's able to make kind of good guesses and then from your conversations as well it can tell what you're talking about it can tell kind of what you're leaning towards as well which I mean, on the one hand, people would be like, ah, well, it's just data. But then this film shows what can happen if data's in the wrong hands. And I think that that, that scene where Caleb is like, did you pl- plan her appearance based on my porn search history? you kind of like, oh, that is, as you said at the top of the pod, that's the sharp end of this. That is the... The real kind yeah. of grubby underbelly coming to the core, right? And that is what. The, if this film is a warning on some level, like like we're saying about Terminator Two, it's like we do not need to keep going with AI down certain paths. We don't need to take it to that place where essentially we kind of uh we're we're outsourcing absolutely everything already that how troubling was that kind of that part where Caleb has a dream about kissing a robot you know that he was actually starting Mm. to fall for her it was just so so bizarre and um yeah and I I thought that that scene just him kind of talking about that's one of the the reasons why I, I thought Nathan's character was actually the kind of like problematic good guy in this film he was prepared to basically shut off her brain He was like, once we're done here, I'll turn her off, you know. So he actually, even though he was a dodgy guy, he definitely at least understood his place in the world a bit better.
1: Where do you you stand on the morality of that, mate? Because I think that's one of the very big questions that comes out of this film for me is if we consider, you know, whether we feel they have emotions or not, that this is a hyper intelligent being with, should we say, needs, um, or at least it has things that it wants, so it has a form of consciousness. What is the morality behind keeping not only one of these beings caged? We've seen the the, the dramatic effects of that has happened on one of Ava's kind of counterparts previously. Who basically driven mad being in the, in the, in that room so much. So she, you know, destroyed herself trying to escape. If Nathan would just so coldly, just say, he's talking about turning, turning her off as if she were, you know, a fridge or a PlayStation or whatever. (laughs) What
0: type of questions does that raise for you morally, ethically? Well, so because of so at the top of the pod you remember i said like that that ava is not a human being and i don't think she's able to make emotion-based decisions i think that she's just the sum of the sum of the artificial intelligence that she's given so morally for me and again because i'm petrified about the future i'm able to keep it cold on this one. So I look at it and I'm like, the 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 morality and the code of conduct that we have for humans, I don't think it's the same as the morality that we're extending to machines. And the problem where that book is gonna become an issue is as we make AI that looks and sounds more like us, Will start to attach to it this kind of, um, this same level of, uh, of, of moral and ethical, um, I guess, code that we, that we've created. What, what's it, what's it called? Um, that we, that we have for, uh, oh God, principles of social justice, right? The, the idea that we've created this kind of, um, We've created the rules for our society and everyone has to play by it, you know? I think AI live outside of that and that's what's so troubling about it is because you see that we're expecting people to behave a certain way towards an AI but the same rules don't necessarily apply for the AI because at the end of the film, Ava just walks out. Um, So, it it, like... again my my personal view on it is just because I fear so much what AI could bring um, mm. but the problem is is that there is a kind of very, if you don't feel that way if you don't feel cold about it there's a really troubling conversation to be had there right like if you if you do feel on some level that there's like, they're sentience and that it's a life form then it's going to get really ugly really quickly.
1: Well, and I guess it again raises the the spiritual question with human beings is what are we? Do we have a soul? Is that what makes us different from one of these machines? Or would an atheist's take on this be there is no difference between us just other than we're made of flesh and bone and they're not, that we're organic computers, if you like. Our brains are organic processing machines and that's simply all that we are. Because that it really starts to, you know, because if we, if we are going down this route where, so we do have a, a church separated from, from the state where we do have a, you know, people who are, you know, who just don't, don't believe in anything else to, to this existence that one day our consciousness turns off our neurons stop firing and we cease to exist any longer if we if we are in a world where we kind of judge robotic life in 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 that um or artificial life i should say by those standards it would worry me that those kind of thoughts and feelings would lead to human beings themselves being a
0: lot more disposable you know yeah and i think that's yeah i think that's part of the problem here is that basically oh god this is too bleak to sort of say but i think that's that's kind of the problem with AI is that it's forced us to reflect on the fact... And this film forces us to reflect on the fact that Caleb and Nathan... If you're going to get rid of... Let's just say in this film, who deserves to get the boot? Caleb and Nathan are more flawed than Ava is. Now, Ava doesn't really do anything wrong with the exception of she being to slightly manipulative in... Yeah. And actually, if you looked at it analytically, there's that scene in The Matrix, right? When um, uh, Agent Smith sits there and is interrogating Morpheus, and he's like, he, he calls human beings a plague. So it says there that that they they sort of um, move to an area and they multiply and they act like a virus. Um, and and yeah, it's kind of quite conflicting, confronting, right? Because you go, well. That we've we've seen so many films kind of show us this, and yet we sort of almost like weirdly can't help ourselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's because there's so many questions that if we're even just scratching at the surface of this, mate, let's look at this in look, there's there's if it doesn't mean that they're going to start building robots that are going to walk around and you know kill us in our, you know where we stand, but on a, on a, on a granular level, if we're talking about AI starting to now creep into workplaces, that's going to start taking people's jobs. What do those people do for jobs? There's a very interesting, there's a great book um, called play a piano, um, which is very much worth reading. It's all about human beings who are existing in a utopia where they don't have to work because everything's taken care of by machines but then that also spans out into music into art into everything so human beings just have this listless existence it raises some of these interesting moral questions but if we're also looking in the sense of say self-driving cars i know that one of the real problems we're having at the moment is it, 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 there's, there's a very a simple example there's there's various different websites that will show you some of the the different ethical questions that people are really having to sit around and debate before they allow the rollout of things like self-driving cars. One of these is, say, an experiment, and a thought experiment, where you have, say, five, five passengers within a self-driving car. The car has brake failure and is about to crash into an obstacle ahead, killing the five people on board. It can either it can either crash into the obstacle ahead because it is the car that they're in that has a fault and kill those five people on board or it can swerve out the way of the obstacle and kill a person who is on the road but how do we tell a machine what is right or wrong how do we not know that that person on the road is one child and the car is full of five bank robbers oh, do you know what i mean like there's so many yeah, you t- i'm not saying bank so robbers deserve is- to die or anything but you, you get my point like no this is yeah, utilitarianism
0: are- right the the greatest good for the greatest number is 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 like one way of looking at it and there's a really great example of this is that you're on a you're on a train and the train is going straight forward and then there's a fork in the there's a fork in the, the train line. And if you pull a lever, you'll go left. And if you leave the lever down, you'll go right. Now, standing on the right is a is a group of ten elderly people, and standing on the left, there's a three or four young people. And the, the kind of philosophical question is like, what what do you do in that situation? Do you save more people, or do you say, well, the people on the right are old? Or do you go and say, well, the people that are young deserve to live more life? Um, or do you just say, well, simply cut, put, cut it down to it, take the choice that harms the fewest people. Now, like, I think, it is it iRobot that takes this on and talks about, I think it is iRobot, talks about the idea of why Will Smith's character doesn't trust the robot is because the robot Decides to save one person instead of two, because statistically there's a better chance that one person would survive or something like that. And I, and I, and I think this is, the, this is the, the crux of it, right? Is that we're, we're doing that thing that like you said of playing God, using percentages to make decisions, you know? And then the, the, yeah. how are we going to program a computer to make a human-like decision,
1: difficult mate it's difficult like this is this is you know me i can waffle i can go on for bloody hours about anything but this is starting to get above my pay grade do you know what i mean at least in terms of, this is getting to that sort of level where it's like i'm i'm understanding and processing internally some of these thoughts and feelings but i'm kind of coming starting to come up short a bit do you know what i mean
0: yeah but i I love that this is i mean that this is like i absolutely love this i mean like there's this this um like the the, in utilitarianism right this idea that the ends justify the means which is such a fascinating theory i mean all this stuff is so fascinating i think that's what's so good about this film because of the limited nature of it and I, i know we've got to wrap up so i'll fly on to the kind of the last bit um the limited nature of this film means that it you can explore all of these different things and there's one bit that we probably yeah. haven't just touched on yet and that is the setting. It was so carefully chosen. I feel like it's so important to have nature on the outside and this kind of free flowing nature, you know, I think it was filmed in Norway but never mentioned where it actually is. And yet on the inside is this kind of like it's it's it's, it could not be further from what is natural, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's
1: that feels it's so very purposeful. Right. Again, it's the that meeting of. Something very organic, but also something very sterile and created and artificial, right? It's very, yeah. very purposeful that location and the aesthetic, and just the 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 life that Nathan leads, really living in this bunker, this cold, little, funny, windowless existence that he has when he's surrounded by all that beauty. And, yeah, they go for a walk a couple of, like, once in, in the film, and I think they have another bit when they're sat outside having a chat, but they spend most of their life confined within that almost bunker-like setting, staring into computer screens. There's, there's something, again, quite haunting about that, as in they're denying they're denying nature, they're denying that kind of the beauty and existence that is around them as they seek to find this kind of solitude, this refuge within this artificial confine. It's, you know, that to me, it feels very conscious, um, a decision by the filmmaker. And also, it just looked fucking cool, didn't it? Let's let's, let's just just take it? it as base as that. Like
0: yeah it look really really sick, and i do i I really think that inclusion of things like a waterfall and the the forest and then the the kind of flexibility of nature and the fact that it's also wild and everything is very sort of up to chance and then on the on the flip you go through the door and everything is so sort of linear and data and analytical and nothing is chance like you had this you had the two worlds just completely juxtaposed and to get one more shout for philosophy in here did you notice at the end of the film the thing that we talked about on a previous pod philosophically
1: i didn't make on fill, fill, fill me do you remember the my, allegory of the cave moves.
0: Oh, yes. so at the yes, end I do. Of, yeah, at the end of the film, they showed on the ground all of the shadows, sort of people walking by and people kind of drifting in and out and walking through the streets. And then it pans up, and Ava is looking at the shadows, and then she looks up and sees all these people. So for the first time, she's getting to see what the shadows actually mean. And that is why there is this significance to the use of blue book as the name of the the site. Because blue book was was Wittgenstein's um, notebook. He had notebooks, right? And they were labeled different colors. And so it was named after his blue book, which basically makes the argument that there is meaning behind words that basically words are one way of expressing consciousness, but the intent and the meaning behind them is what gives them weight. So that was kind of like the bringing together of my Niki philosophical stuff. So the idea that he basically says that this blue book, mentality psychology or or existence that she has in 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 that little orb that she's got in her mind is just a summation of things until she can take them to exist in the real world and give them meaning and so at the end of the film we see her able to give them meaning by seeing what they are firsthand which was a super sick ending i don't know how many people would have actually kind of like will, will, like have meeked out on it as that's much as I. fucking I'd, cool yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's really really cool right i know we we've got to wrap up because i've like absolutely people are going to be listening to this thing you couple of such like film wankers so like, i've gone full <laughs> meek this week but it's been so fun and i really really oh, love, mate, it, so I love it so do one <laughs> 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 exactly end of the day <laughs> don't like it don't
1: listen no please do listen yeah please exactly do listen. Yeah, please yeah.
0: like comment subscribe um, um, okay let's do the uh, let's do the aging process what have you got
1: I mean the fine wine or the war crime I, I, look, I under, look do you want to tell me about this mate because it was you that flagged with me that there were there were certain issues around the representation of Kyoko in particular within this film so say like mm. the, the the kind of the western male lens on on Asian women, right?
0: Yeah, a subservient Asian character or female character in particular that has no voice, has no ability to actually kind of answer back to any of the stuff that Nathan adds to her. But I think there is something here there was a number of criticisms around this that I saw that it kind of has a bit of the film has a blind spot here, and that the character didn't need to be Asian, the character didn't need to be a woman, for example, um, like that, that that the idea of gender didn't necessarily need to be attached to an AI. But I actually think that this was my belief is that this was an, uh, a choice specifically by the filmmaker that, that 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 it should be an Asian woman and it should be. A kind of Western, again, that Western lens of this fetishization um, that there has been in the past and, and continues to be, actually. But I think that's really, really crucial because I think the film is making a comment on that. Because ultimately, Kyoko's character is far more intelligent than Nathan gives her credit for and she actually seems to be able to interact with Ava and she understands what's going on and actually outsmarts Nathan you know and at the end as you said she sort of comes back around and there's a really powerful moment where she like pulls his face back to look at her so that he can look into her eyes whilst She's sort of ultimately killing him, which I, for me, again, I thought that was I I thought that was intentional. But I do understand where that criticism lies. Um, And then there was a further criticism that this kind of film, would it be the same film if the AI characters were male and it was female designers and developers creating those AI characters? And again, I don't know about you, mate, but I actually felt like this was a very specific Quite, almost like a slant on male ego that the the film was kind of saying. Look, well, like, blokes have these blind spots.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm quick to note immediately that I understand that my experience of watching this as a as a straight bloke is is going to be different, and I'm not here to invalidate anyone else's experience on this. Hundred
0: percent. But
1: 100%. But, <laughs> but in saying that, um, it, it it feels like that was intentional right I don't that doesn't feel like a blind spot that is I mean it's not only kind of showcasing kind of the power dynamics at play within society kind of the the man being on the man being in control him setting these parameters for for Ava what she can and can't do where she can and can't go there's a very kind of real symmetry there to uh, an abusive relationship between Two human beings, male and female, that in most kind of power dynamics, as a result of either physicality or because of, you know, societal leanings towards men, men generally do tend to have more power in many situations than women. And I think that was kind of a critique on that. It was kind of a skewering on that. This is something that Alex Garland is clearly quite preoccupied by. He's wrote and directed the film Men as well, which is very heavily about this subject. And again, not everybody really liked that. Not everybody really liked that it was a man that was writing that film either. So again, I understand that's not a perfect get out of jail free card. But I think it was very conscious. I think it like you say, it was to kind of showcase this this narcissism, this ego in somebody like in Nathan. Um, But I think there was also a real kind of point there as well about that male ego coming back to coming back to haunt them and to uh, to, to have to face up to that um y- yeah, I mean, it's a complex d- thing precisely so i think you know i think for me it's it, it, i don't think look i i I'll put it this way i don't think this film went out to offend anybody right and i i understand that that's not always A get out of jail free card that sometimes people can just be you know affected by things as a byproduct of that but i don't think like i'm saying if we're talking about the intent behind something i don't think this was an attempt to punch down or to make anybody do you know what i mean like that's that's the point i'm trying to make that you know i think the, the the film was it it was coming at this with like the the best intentions. It was exploring these ideas of like you say male ego, much in the same way that we've seen with something like Oppenheimer very recently. What propels these kind of male egos? Because I had an interesting discussion with Charlotte after this, where we were talking about this this same thing. I was saying that you know, say for example, if say women were afforded the same kind of level of opportunity of freedom as men were at the same time uh, as the atomic bomb was being created. Is there just as much chance that a female scientist would have created the atomic bomb or something like this as a man does? Or is there something more in men that seeks to dominate, that seeks to control, Mm. that seeks to destroy their adversaries? And do women have more of this, you know, is, is the idea of a matriarchy... Would it be better? Would, would would there be more of a community spirit there? And I was arguing with Charlotte, I think really some of these themes transcend being male or female, that people ultimately seek to gain an advantage over one another. And, you know, that the, the, a female scientist could just as conceivably want to create a weapon of mass destruction as a man. Um, and she wasn't quite as sure on the, on that on that topic. So there's an interesting one for our listeners. Whatever you think that you know, yeah, and,
0: the, and, the and it, it's the same on this right as well. In that, like, you could argue that fe- if it was female designers, they would be, they would because of environmental factors, they would be more worried and nervous about the physical element and and the danger of the physicality of creating an ai if it was a male ai that inbuilt there'd be more concerned for safety there's also been i've seen online essays and 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 videos around this that that people saying well that maybe the 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 female designers would be equally as attracted to creating uh, an ai that fulfills those needs that Caleb's character needs you know so it is a it's a really fascinating discussion um but I do want to know your MVP what have you got
1: so i one of those films where I find it really very very hard but I think I'm gonna to have to give it to Oscar Isaacs in this because I just I just think he's I think he's phenomenal I think he's so I think they're all brilliant in this I think it's, it's for him for me it's between him and Alicia Vikander but I think I do have to give it to Oscar Isaacs because I just think he's he's absolutely sensational in this, his brooding, his his emotional unavailability, or at least the way in which he can direct his emotions in certain ways. You hate is... him, don't you, as well? I, I do, but equally I kind of see where he's coming from, especially, you know, when he's kind of when he's saying to to Caleb, to Donald Gleason's <laughs> character right at the end, like Hey man, I'm on your side. I was trying to I was trying to do you a solid, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, like she's just using you, bro. Like, you know, but and he's 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 right. He's true. Cuz he knew what she was capable of really, or at least in theory he knew what an AI would be capable of, and it wasn't going to be to settle down and live happily ever after with Caleb. The computer nerd who ultimately used her to try and get laid. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's 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 what it is. He's not the like you say. He's not the hero of it. He's None. he's he, he fancied her. He was
0: using. I think he's to... the closest to the villain. I think he's the closest to the villain out of the whole thing. I think like his intentions are the least pure. Yeah. So,
1: I, 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 would you agree, though, Isaac? Or is it?
0: Are you giving it to the I wanna. I actually want to go super left field and be a total wanker and give it to uh, Sonoya Mizuno. Um, for <laughs> yeah, mate, it's a good shout.
1: It's a good shout because show, just, cause
0: she's fucking unbelievable in it. Because she doesn't say a word and yet. You are Totally drawn to her I think Also I'm, t- I'm biased Because like I said I think it's one of the Greatest dance scenes In any film ever But that scene I've watched it so many times Because I'm trying to Pick out the most Minute details in it But I just think She's amazing She does these things Where she like Is able to be so Blank like and and so kind of completely expressionless but at the same time give off so much expression at the same time um should we do the ratings next time because i know you've got a bounce mate do you want to should we go into the
1: i reckon we could do uh, uh, we can do it quick go on let's just, have let's, just have go on, a... let's do it oh that's yeah, go good because i want i actually oh, really want to oh, know on these imdb 7.7 for Ex machina that's that i mean that's that i mean, Fucking IMDB man, like they're just so harsh with these ratings. But Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh, 92%, 86% audience score, metacritic.com, machina What are we looking at here? Ah, come on. It's not finding it. I don't know why it's out. It's because I'm spelling it incorrectly. 76%. 78%. There you go metacritic no badge get in the bin the pair of you this to me is another 11 out of five popcorns mate it's one of the very best films ever made for me but what i want to know now mate is because look all these robots all this ai nonsense get in the bin what's next week's film let's look to the future
0: oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna do it under pressure i'm gonna make a decision under pressure um because we've we've actually got a very special guest who's picked a film for us which we'll be, we'll be we coming on to next week. Is it, uh, technically, is that our next episode? That is technically our next episode and I can't believe I've
1: forgotten that. Our first wow. ever BYOB guest. I so, am so... Actually, yeah.
0: let's, let's get him to do a sending. Yeah, we'll get him to do a sending
1: we'll put it out Dunk. at some point. Yeah, nice Love
0: all. it. Okay, well, this has been a pleasure. Make sure you follow our BYOB pod. Get in touch and shout us with the bits that we've missed. Sorry for waffling so much on this one, but it's been great fun. Uh, cheers, mate. See you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. Jack Gallagher here. Excited to be on the podcast next week. And the lads have very kindly asked me to bring my own blockbuster for the podcast episode. So they return that kindness in some way and they hopefully them up a wee bit after the news broke that Hurricane might believe in their beloved Tottenham, I thought I'd try to think of the most feel-good film that I could think of to bring with me, and that is Rocky, the first one.